Welcome to our Perimenopause What the F podcast, brought to you by the Perry community. In this podcast, your host, Rachel Hughes, talks everything, and we mean everything, perimenopause. She helps us navigate through all our What the F perimenopause moments and all, is this normal? Questions. Rachel talks with perimenopause experts, thought leaders, and inspirational voices of the community. To connect with other perimenopause warriors, download our free Perry app. You can find the link in our show notes. And now, let's dive right in. Hey everyone, this is Rachel of Rachel Hughes Midlife here with another episode of Perry Talks, where we like to deep dive into all things perimenopause and menopause, bringing you the science and the sisterhood. Today, I am speaking with therapist Pavel Bedritsky on relationships in perimenopause. Relationships with spouses, sure, but also with friends, colleagues, children, parents. All of these dynamics may become challenging when we enter into this season of life. And whether it's hormones to blame or internal angst, change or growth, it can impact how we connect with those around us. Pavel works with patients in all seasons of life, and he's going to help guide us with tools and strategies that allow for peace within and with others. For future episodes, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And now let's get started. Thank you for being here. I'm very excited about this call. And um, I know that that Perry let us know, but if you would just uh, mute your device, I think you've been automatically muted. If you have any questions or comments, just drop them into the chat. And Pablo, I'm happy to um, you know navigate that for you so you don't have sure. to be reading sure. and answering at the same time. Sounds okay. Good. Pavel Bedrevsky, am I pronouncing that correctly? I know I asked you once before, but I want to make sure I'm doing it. I feel like the first time you had it right, but ever since then, it's been like a- It's been like a plummet. Okay, so let's let's hear it. Let's get it right. Bedrevsky. Bedrevsky. Did I say that the first time? The first time, but then the second and and third, you started going in the opposite direction. Bedrevsky. Pavel's practice has led him to work with a range of individuals seeking mental health care. His background includes diverse training and clinical experiences in both inpatient and outpatient hospital settings. He's also worked in schools, taught at the college level, community mental health programs, daycares, sports camps, and uh, taught wellness seminars and led conferences. Welcome once again, Pavel, to the community. Thank so, you so I'm very excited that you are here to speak with us about this. I am one of thousands of us who have raised the issue at one time or another about sort of the conflation of perimenopause and the relationships that we are in, that we might be seeking, that we, you know, sort of have been going a certain way, and then they seem to derail in some instances. And it is a big deal. It can cause a lot of suffering. Um, and I, I know sort of personally, um, 
I've had moments, you know, in, over my last 10 years in perimenopause where my husband has just sort of said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, you know, you seem different or you're not the same or, and I feel different. I have um, sort of like, I feel this kind of like, you know, release in a lot of ways of the constraints and maybe how I've behaved or how I've been taught to behave or whatever it is. And those kinds of things have, have um, fallen away. And I can't imagine it's all hormonally driven. Um, but with that, I, as I mentioned, heard from a lot of people in my DMs on this subject when I plug the call. So I'd love to get right into sure, uh, community member questions and comments and um, and we can revisit yeah. any part Before of we I do that, can I just please. kind of piggyback off your message? Yes, uh, please. First off, I appreciate the, uh, the invitation to be here. I think it's... Um, it's an amazing thing that you guys are doing, giving a voice to people and having this be more of an open discussion where people can, you know, ask questions and talk about there still is that kind of, you know, the unknown and is it a stigma? Are we lifting the stigma? So the fact that, you know, we're able to talk about it and kind of, you know, build that bridge to from where we are to where we need to go and, you know, help identify that everyone's process on this is different. But if we can come to some kind of common themes that people can put into their own world, I think that would be a, a terrific step to take. Great. Thank you. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. Certainly getting stuff out into the open is a start in all things. I had mentioned to you when we had an opportunity to speak prior to this, that um, there was a group of us who had met a while ago uh, mm -hmm. to speak about perimenopause, menopause relationships. And I don't think there was one person who didn't express that she was somehow um, struggling in a relationship she had been in for a long time. And, and I, I just want to say, I might use the term marriage sort of fluidly. Um, and sure. I'm not always speaking about married couples, nor am I always speaking about heterosexual couples, but for the purposes of this conversation, I might just use that kind of language. So, um, okay. So to begin, um, the first question I got in, was actually about friendships. Um, this person says, I've withdrawn from friends. I'm not sure why. I just don't feel the same about our dynamic anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, the social questions come along a lot. And even you, Rachel, you mentioned to me about, you know, how like son and husband and how everybody feels different. And, you know, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, you know, am I the one that's changed or has everyone around me changed, right? Has the world suddenly and all my social life and all my friends and all my family, have they become different or does it start with me, mm -hmm. right? And if we talk about, you know, a healthy way to go with relationships and making sure you build good bridges, it's very important. And this is echoed in, in, in many areas of this, of this topic is what 
have other people started to do differently towards me? So to answer that one uh, person's question, I mean, if you were seeing, you know, your girlfriends every Friday night, or you guys were going camping together, or there was a ladies night or drink night on Wednesday, but suddenly um, your friends are drifting off a little bit, what's happened? Is it because of something they've done? Have they moved, you know, from cities? Have they moved from countries? Are they in a tough spot? Or is it that the dynamic, you know, which we start with ourselves has differed? Are you relating to them differently? Are you speaking to them differently? Are you um, responding to them differently? Where has the change come from, right? And I think that the most dangerous way to go about this is to ask that question to yourself. If you ask, if you ask yourself that question, I think you're, you're backfooting yourself. That question needs to be asked to everybody that is not you. So reaching out to your friends, asking, why are these things happening? Why are relationships changing? Have I changed? Am I doing something different or something that you guys don't like or doing less of? Please give me the feedback. So the feedback is extraordinarily important coming from others as a third person lens, moreover than just the intrinsic view. Okay, this is so interesting. And really, uh, I think an important perspective for all of us in life, no matter what the circumstance to sort of take in, which is sort of to not fear getting information from others about perhaps your behavior, about the relationship, sort of being open to self-assessment. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I'm looking at the attendees list and I can see a few of my, my patients and people that I know well in my circle. So they've definitely heard me say this and, you know, maybe we can ask the participants here and I'd love to see an answer, Rachel, if you don't mind. I want sure. to know where everybody is on this. Mm. If I ask everybody here, Rachel, you too, what is the most dangerous place in the entire world? What is the most, you know, forbidden, dangerous place a person can enter? Any guesses? I'd love to hear audience feedback on this. <laughs> <laughs> the internet, my own bedroom and my own head our mind, social media, my head, silence and partnership. Interesting answers. Yes. And I think everyone's right. The most dangerous place is your own head. Yeah. When you get stuck in your own head, suddenly your world becomes so small, you know, your comfort zone, and we're going to get into this later, the three areas of a person, the comfort zone, the learning zone, and the panic zone. So, you know, we're definitely going to dissect into that a lot more later, but if you have a comfort zone, which is, you know, ladies night on Wednesdays, you know, Pilates and yoga, and then suddenly, you know, you just make your comfort zone so small that you just get stuck in your own head. It's a very, 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 very dangerous place because suddenly instead of you revolving around the world, the world revolves around you. Mm. And when that happens, we become very critical of ourselves. We're not open to criticism. We think differently. We act differently. And that is reflected in our lifestyle, sure. our quality of life and relationships. Sure. And I'm thinking actually about uh, sort of the, uh, you know, being in perimenopause, menopause, 
sort of having your, your life maybe feels upended because physiologically you are in flux. Um, This seems like it would be particularly challenging um, and, you know, possibly disruptive to relationships. Oh yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And if we become even more silenced and if we become more intrinsic, how on earth are our romantic relationships, our friendships, our business partners, how are they going to know what we're they're experiencing? And, right. you know, I can tell you from, from the groups that I've attended and the, the mentorship meetings, one of the cardinal sins of society is that people can tend to take things personally. Yes. So even if we're in a, 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 a moment where our emotions are raging and our hormones and, you know, we're flustered with ourselves, perhaps we have a difficult relationship with our, our family member, a friend or a business partner. They're not looking into your mind and seeing, oh, my gosh, she's she's struggling because of this. This is what she's going through. You know, the tendency for most people is to be like, what's her problem? Why is she reacting like that? What did I do? And suddenly the distancing, you know, begins to happen, right? And it's a lot easier to to destroy a bridge than it is to build one. Sure. Thank you for that. Um, The next question actually is a nice segue uh, from what you just talked about. And I think pretty complicated. Um, Children, someone mentioned, and she sort of joked when she wrote this, there was a lot of ha ha ha's and LOL's, but she said, tackle perimenopause and puberty in the same household, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) And that comes up a lot in this community. Actually, there are lots of people who have um, young children, older children, children entering into puberty or sort of in the, you know, in those years between 11 and let's, let's call it 16. And, you know, there's this wrestling that begins to happen. Um, and a lot of strife in the household. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that is common. And what I always tell people is that we need to compartmentalize these things, right? A uh, a uh, uh, perimenopause and a woman are not intertwined there's the woman there's the woman who she is the being the influence she has on the world her skills her strengths and then there's the you know uh, the experience that she's going through so we compartmentalize that what we do as well with the kids is you know a 13 year old boy maybe first girlfriend's coming around going you know more social we need to compartmentalize the puberty as well. And if we look at, you know, puberty, I kind of look at it in a similar sense to ADHD, as an example. We, we, we can, if we can divide the puberty and the effects of puberty, I'm seeing some, some chats. Are yeah, I'll are read that. In. I'll read that for you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. That if we can look at puberty in a positive sense and the influence of that. So what can puberty look like in a person? And obviously it's different for everybody, but some common themes do arise, you know, perhaps they're a little more self-conscious. Maybe they're a little more confident, maybe more outgoing, maybe more intrinsic, maybe more energy, more less energy. And if we can, um, uh, dissect the strengths of what the experience the the young person is going through in puberty and link them to the the strengths of the caregiver and go by that that will be uh, a much more positive 
uh, impact and a much more harmonious home. As an example, you know, a 13-year-old girl or a 13-year-old boy is entering the stages of puberty. They feel self-conscious. Why not, you know, take them to a Pilates class or to a cycling class or take them to the gym, help them get more social, get more confidence, build their self-esteem. All these activities that can really ricochet and pivot the strengths are incredibly important. Then there's the argument of, you know, what about the staying up late at night? And what about the combative attitude? And what about the skipping school? There's a, a parental strategy that I like to use at times, which is called planned ignoring. So planned if, ignoring, planned ignoring, okay. if, you know, the 13-year-old the came home and the report card is A, it's A+, plus. they're feeling good, they're social, but perhaps they might have had a, you know, less than pleasant interaction with the caregiver, but the rest of the part of the day was good. The number one key, key theme comes, don't take it personally, sweep it under the rug a little bit for the greater good. So kind of letting the little fish undesirable behaviors go and reinforcing the, the, the strengths and the big themes that the people are doing well. So we want to make sure that we water the grass, keep the strength strong and, you know, for the little things, you know, just kind of let the little fish go. And believe me, it leads to a much more harmonious, healthy relationship. And suddenly the little things seem a little smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's, that's very helpful. I want to just um, check in with what the, uh, the uh, community is saying right now. Um, someone wrote hard also when we are medically induced into menopause earlier. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a whole other layer, I think, of uh, potential challenges there. Um, Very complicated in that sense, most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, someone wrote, unfortunately, the hormones we experience give us the intrusive dread anxiety. For me, it's at night. This compels more story making. It's so difficult to interrupt. And I'm a therapist. This is literally oh, what wow. I'm helping okay. my clients with every day. And I can't do it myself when it's midnight and the house is asleep. I'll let you respond to that in a moment, Pavel, if you like. Um, and then the last comment is I connect with my 11 year old kiddo all the time over our mutual hormonal experiences. Yeah. I love that. And I appreciate <laughs> the kind of levity about it. Too. Ice cream does wonders. So important. I mean, a lot of things do wonders. I think to your point, you know, doing things sort of connecting about you know, uh, things that are helpful, connecting over things that are helpful, whether it's let's go move our bodies together or, you know, in a yoga class, take a walk, whatever it is. But also, and I hear this from people in the community too, that, that there are these moments of just joking around about what is happening between the parent and the kid. And it's really helpful for both parties to sort of not take everything so seriously have these these moments of joking or connecting really around yes. this mutual hormonal flux yes yes and you know the key thing there that i'm going to take away i mean there's a lot of value that you said but the one that i'm going to 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 pull out is that i know that looking at these group chats i see some familiar faces and a lot of them are Toronto Maple Leafs fans, hockey fans who <laughs> assured me that this was going to be the year. So just to break <laughs> the ice a little bit, I brought out my, 
you know, Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> okay, okay, Cup all right. Kind of, you know, good luck, Toronto. Well, they're already on the golf course, so. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that's I'm, why I'm, I'm kind of rubbing uh, in the bragging okay, rights. So I hope okay, you guys okay. get a good look. Okay. Um, one thing that one of the participants mentioned in this chat is the good times and the bad times. And I think, you know, one of the other cardinal sins that tends to happen is when we become angry, when we become emotional, when we become guarded. Hey, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, you know, I'm petty. Look, I'm bringing up, you know, leaf mugs during these moments. It's, we try to solve all the problems of the world, all the problems of our relationships when we're angry, right? We tend to be taking things defensively. We become emotional. There's a hostility. And then, you know, all of a sudden we're like, Hey, let's talk about what happened last week, or let's talk about what happened two weeks ago. And suddenly the little ember has become a full blown atomic explosion, right? So I preach to do preventative measures. As an example, I did a family therapy session earlier um, with, with a woman who was experiencing anger issues and um, the topic of this is how can we support so-and-so? So what we did is we talked about what are her best moments of the day and weakest moments of the day. Routine looks something like this. She gets up, she's in a good mood, goes to work and, you know, is in good spirits, is social, but as, you know, sundowner syndrome comes down and it's a thing, sundowner syndrome. I want you guys to write this down and look it up people tend to become more sad. They become more down. Their resiliency comes down and suddenly, you know, um, a, a, a sly comment that was made in the morning where you don't think twice in the evening or at night, we tend to take a little more personally. So what we talked about with the person's family, the kids, the grandparents is how can we as the support system be equipped to support her? So we know the predictable behaviors, we can see what's coming, you know, we can see the storm brewing. What do we need to do proactively and preventative measures to make sure that storm goes down rather than going up? A few things that come to mind, giving her space, allowing mom to choose the Netflix movie for the night, perhaps encouraging a walk, maybe, you know, um, taking the night off from cooking dinner, honey, we're going to take some uh, takeout or, you know, we're going to cook something for you. Understanding the warning signs so that way we can minimize the effects. And everyone has their role, right? Whether bringing a cup of tea, whether, like I said, the Netflix choice, whatever it is, giving space, identifying those things in the help of being supportive. It's absolutely impossible for one person in a household of six or seven to be able to control the environment and the dynamics. But the power in numbers of those six or seven people to be supportive, to identify, to do things that promote healthy relationships, sleep in tomorrow, go to bed early, do what you need, helps create those sound relationships. And let me just ask you this, Pavel, before we get into- I saw into, an amen, so shout out to- Somebody like, like with that comment you, you said, but before we get into many of the other questions about um, you know, romantic partnerships, I just wanna hang here for a second because I'm thinking about a family dynamic and um, you know, 
perimenopause has really just sort of entered the room and it's in full effect and everyone is kind of like what's happening including the 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 woman going through perimenopause um and well, all well, of these suggestions self-awareness is is there not always the case that's right that's right and and all of these suggestions are great but for those people who can't um, access a, a therapist who might offer this kind of thing, what can she or any any family member for that matter take away right now that can be helpful to sort of, you know, get them thinking about these kinds of things, thinking, you know, let's, how about we suggest a walk? How about we suggest, you know, let's not let's not expect mom to make dinner four nights a week or whatever that looks like, you know, whatever what's going on in the household, what can we, what can you sort of offer to people? Well, the one piece comes to the, the woman's self-awareness. How aware is she that her mood as an example from, you know, and I love to use rating scales. So let's say confidence from zero to 10 at baseline is like a seven, or uh, calmness on a baseline from zero to 10 is like an eight, but then suddenly she's reflecting and her confidence is at a two, you know, her calmness is at a four. These are the intrinsic questions that need to be asked. Moreover, you know, if we're looking at it from the first person perspective, has the room become more quiet? Are people distancing themselves from me? Am I giving more orders rather than asking questions? Are people now, you know, more on their phones or in different parts of the house than when I'm at my best or when I'm in a good mood and whatnot. And then on the other side of the aisle, right, how can my family members speak to me in a way that builds harmony and builds my confidence and builds my reassurance and that does not escalate the situation. And one of those things is to keep the, 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 um, the experience light, not pointing fingers. One of the, the key elements that the family members need to do is to take I and me out of their vocabulary. Again, the not taking things personally. Honey, do you need something? Honey, what can we bring for you? You know, open-ended questions rather than, you know, why are you yelling? Or why did you throw the dish at my head? Or whatever <laughs> the case may be, right? right? Why is the shoe on me over there? So more of this supportive and reassure efforts, right? And, you know, a lot of people, you know, with their self-awareness, if it's in a good place, they're able to identify, hey, I'm having a tough moment. Let me go read a book or let me go take some time for myself. Or there's a lot of online resources, right? Whether it's one that I encourage people to use, which is called the, the big white wall, whether it's an online chat group, whether it's Reddit conversations, our, our harmonious video, whatever it is, there's always this influence of, you know, the supports, my family, my friends, as well as yourself. And people respond diff differently, whether it's a verbal cue, whether it's an intrinsic cue, whether it's a, you know, a momentary snap, whatever it is, you need to understand what it is that will help push you in a healthier direction. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Moving along the next. Um... Uh, one more thing, if I Please. can just piggyback off yeah, that yeah. very importantly. If we're in a hostile environment, if we're not feeling good, please, please take 
your time to yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. I always tell people the number one rule for, for en engaging in these relationships, the more difficult a conversation you need to have, whether it's personal issues or issues of perimenopause or talking about a hard, um, a hard argument that was had, the more difficult the argument, the more positive environment. If we're talking about a fight, perhaps that we had yesterday, we're in Wonderland, we're having ice cream, we're at the park, we're making it as light of an environment and dynamic as possible. So this remember is that. a the more really good tip. The more the, difficult the, con the conversation or subject or... The more pleasant the environment and the dynamic and environment. So... Please remember that. That's I'm very, very down. crucial. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear a... pens going. And... <laughs> this is great. Thank you, Pavel. Okay. Here's, here's, we're sort of segueing now into romantic partnerships, if you will. Uh, Suddenly the participants list just tripled. Interesting. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Feeling bored. This person wrote to me, I'm just bored by him. He doesn't want to do anything. That was in capital letters, especially, excuse me, especially in the bedroom. Ha ha ha. She wrote. Okay. Yes. Yes. And you know, can I dive into this one? Please dive. And I, I feel, I feel, I have to say, I sort of threw it out there and then got really quiet and waited for you to say something incredibly profound. Please dive in as much as you like and know that, you know, these questions are coming from people I don't know, and they just threw the question out there. So there isn't a tremendous amount of context. So the best you can do to respond is appreciated. I think that's the beauty of not having context, because if we can, you know, throw out key teams, people mm -hmm. can interpret it for themselves. Great. Right. So the key themes, bedroom, what is our bedroom? I mean, if this is a place of romance and, you know, and love and affection, has something changed? Is there a TV in the bedroom that wasn't there before? Are people reading books? Are people bringing cell phones? Are people doing things in the bedroom that they haven't been doing before? right? Are people, you know, spending more time on the couch? Are people, you know, keeping the bedroom less or more tidy? Questions that need to be asked and why, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a very loaded question. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for people who are asking the question of that of their partners, I would always echo it. Have I done something differently or taken away that would influence this? Right. So, you know, that is also a question that needs to be asked of our partner. And, you know, intrinsically, perhaps, you know, it's like 11 o'clock and it's that magical time, you know, and we're like, honey, you know, why are you on that part of the bed? And why am I over here? That can lead to a, a difficult exchange. However, if we're at the bar at 10 o'clock, we're having drinks. We're in a comfortable vibe. Everyone is loose. We're an hour before showtime. Perhaps that's a more opportune moment to ask those types of questions of ourselves and of our partners. So it's all about the delivery, the message, and the timing. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm going to I'm going to 
throw a, a piece into this person's question, which I, sure. I'm, I'm inferring. I, I don't know this, but having had many conversations with many women in perimenopause by now, I might be able to infer that her question has to do with, I am ready to be more experimental in the bedroom, or I am ready to be having much more <laughs> yes, this is so good. I mean, this is a great point. Danielle writes, some women going through menopause are like old cars. We need to warm our engines first. I am ready for, for more and I'm needing more. So taking it from there, how do you segue that into a conversation where everyone's needs get met? That comes down to communication. Okay. Communication is extremely important here. Oh, I see somebody else put something. Yeah. Somebody uh, else. Can I, you I, read that, Rachel? Mine yes, cuts it off says, to the three no words. No problem. I, I feel like the boredom bedroom in general with my spouse occurs when we are not emotionally and physically connecting enough. Communication. Yes. Communication. Absolutely key. And, you know, one of the books that I always encourage people to read is something called um, The Five Languages of Love, mm -hmm. right? The Five Languages of Love and how we, you know, it can also be interpreted five languages of communication, whether it's in, uh, intimacy, um, words of affirmation, time spent together, and, you know, the other two I want you guys to Google, so I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> But I know this book. I know what they are. Go ahead. So, so very, very important. What a lot of men and women tend to do is they try to communicate their own needs in the communication of their love language rather than speaking the love language of their partner. So if my needs are for more intimacy and more, you know, spiciness in the bedroom and more activities and more extracurricular charms, I need to communicate that to my partner in a way that he or she would understand, whether it's using different words, the environment, the message, a way where they can understand what my needs are and reciprocate to me in his love language that I will be more warm and receptive to, right? So that is the absolute key, speaking in terms of your partner's love language and vice versa. Okay. Someone wrote foreplay with lots of exclamation points. Yes, very, absolutely. Very Especially to the perimenopausal menopausal woman. Thank you yes. for bringing that up. So this, this next question, you may have a similar answer to. Um, foreplay is the answer to everything. Okay, for, Foreplay is a great answer. Um, okay. So this brings us to sexual incompatibility and this topic of boredom boredom or feeling experimental and it not being met with the same, you know, in kind, uh, somebody wrote, quote, I literally don't want my partner to touch me anymore. Like ever again, I feel terrible, but it's where I'm at. What should I do? I don't want to take hormones to just address this issue. I've never actually been all that interested in sex anyway but it sounds like she was having sex before. Um, uh, that's yes, kind of the intention. Because you're right. Here, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So question is, 
you know, what's changed? What's been lost? Why has this bridge been exploded? Is it me? Is it, you know, my sexual appetites have changed? Is my partner doing something that's turning me off? He is depersonalizing it. And, you know, if we take away the I and me's, so would you, just as, you know, as an experiment, Rachel, could you ask that question again, but, you know, take the I and me out of Remove there and put in any other me's. words that you feel fit that are not personal. And let's see how that sounds. Oh, I'm not sure how to, okay. Um, well, uh, her first word is I. So removing that, the rest of the sentence is literally don't want my partner to touch me anymore. Um, she says, I feel terrible. I'm not sure how to take that out. What should I do? Uh, I do not want to take hormones just to address this issue. So I'm, I'm guessing maybe she at least believes that her hormonal fluctuations have decreased her libido. And then finally, um, there's never been, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, there's yes. never been all that much interest in sex anyway. I love that question because, you know, to all our, our viewers and listeners, those are the type of questions that do much more harm than good. For one, it takes away our partner. It does not compartmentalize the perimenopause experience that we're going through. So if we say that before I was okay with sex or it was okay, and we compartmentalize that the now the perimenopause influence leads me to not want to have sex. We use different wording. We, instead of I, what can we do? What can we do differently? What needs to change? If we look at more of our needs and directions we can go as opposed to generic blanket statements, which, you know, clearly is, you know, we're stuck in our own head when there's so many eyes and means, if we can get away from that, that leads us into a direction of options. Great. Thank you. So change the, uh, change the verbiage, if you will change. That the, is crucial. Yes. Yes. So take out the I, you'd said this earlier, take out the I, take out the me it's we, and it's our and needs and, and you know, needs. changes, right? So absolutely, yes. Just by that, that leads, okay, what changes? What are my needs? And suddenly the ball's rolling in a good direction rather than just like ping-ponging in this very small area up here. Right, excellent. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, um, here, this, this actually wasn't a question, but it, it did make me think, about um, a person who does have little to no libido in perimenopause. And this is not uncommon. Um, having a partner who is still fully interested and engaged in at least a, a sexual intimate relationship as it was, and then somebody going through perimenopause or is postmenopausal and is genuinely not as interested. That's a really hard conversation because I've also heard many people say, I love my partner. You know, I want to be intimate with him. I'm just really not interested. How do you bridge that gap? Well, <clears throat> uh, this is where I like to divert, right? So 
um, when there is any relationship, okay, marital, sexual, you know, partnerships, whatever, there's the, um, there's the woman, there's the man, and then there's the relationship. So there's always three areas of any relationship. When I hear those kind of questions, instinctively comes to mind that people are spending way too much time in themselves or in you know looking at their partner and not enough in the relationship. So if we you know, look at the relationship more than just ourselves and our partner, that will help us make choices and ask deeper and profound questions about how can we expand our comfort zone in the relationship, right? What can we do to learn more? How can we keep up with our needs? How can we keep up with our changes, right? If we do a 33, 33, 33 percentage, if you know, our partner is doing well and he's in the 30 range and I'm doing well and I'm in the 30 range, but the relationship itself is struggling. That's, you know, at best 66% of a healthy equation. So just kind of taking more of a we approach and spending more time in that area. And, you know, we don't need to find answers, Rachel, to questions, right? We need to ask questions that lead us and guide us and direct us to different places. There needs to be just like rivers and lakes and oceans, there's a constant move, a constant flow. The questions that we're asking of ourselves in our relationship at 20 need to evolve at 25. They need to evolve at 30. They need to evolve at 40. So it's this constant question asking to find a happy place, a good quality of life. If we get to a place where we give generic answers and we actually are able to answer our questions, hit the reset button, reboot, we've plateaued. We need to constantly ask different questions of ourselves, of our partners, of our relationships to move forward, to progress and to you know keep climbing up that mountain. So Pavel, that's so interesting. Could you, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if you have an example, that is, I think we're always looking for answers, right? Particularly again, just to sort of bring it back to being in perimenopause. There are so many different challenges that may come up for any given, any person in perimenopause, be it physical, mental, emotional, relational, and we do, I think, as humans tend to look for the answer. Oh, it's my hormones. Oh, it's my job. Oh, it's my marriage. It's my, you know, my, the way I think about things, my history, my trauma, whatever. Um, but you're suggesting stop looking for this definitive answer and rather kind of massage the questions throughout and continuously. Exactly. exactly. Right. So let's take a, a topic of the foreplay. Right. We're on the sexual area. Let's talk about that. You know, um, I love foreplay, but my husband and I aren't engaged in that. So there's no sex. Perhaps we could rephrase that question. We're not engaged in foreplay. Why not? What can I do to have my partner more 
open to it? What kind of foreplay does he need? You know, what can we introduce into the bedroom? What can we get out of the bedroom? More questions that lead to pathways and directions. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Um, somebody are you sure up- these sex questions are great. <laughs> if anyone has more <laughs> sex questions, please drop them in the chat. I'm going to move on to anger. Now. One person wrote to me, I honestly see, this is so interesting now. Cause I'm, as I'm reading people's questions and I'm seeing the eyes and the me's, I, I want to sort of rethink, rethink. Okay. Hang on to that question. I'm going to, I'm going to actually let's finish your question. I'm going to go to the chat and then we'll get back to this anger issue. Sure. Someone wrote, I feel that sometimes just the cuddling, holding hands and just touching your partner helps. I agree. Okay. Um, Rachel, since you agree, and I'm not sure who asked, <laughs> but- Danielle R. asked, commented. She it wasn't a question. She commented. Okay. And I love that. I, I think, yes, things change, right? And that, and- well, I shouldn't say they change. Maybe that's always been a part of somebody's, uh, you know, repertoire. Yes. Yes. And, and those things can happen outside of the bedroom, which I think is helpful to what happens inside the bedroom. Yes, of course. Of that's course. my own opinion. That's, that's not my professional opinion. <laughs> that's my, I opinion. think it's, I think it's music <laughs> to everybody's ears because, you know, there's the let's cuddle before sex as a way to get people engage, but then there's also, you know, let's, you know, have sex and then cuddle afterwards. So this is where the communication also, you know, the predictability is sexy. Consistency is sexy. So when people know what's on the landscape, what's in the agenda, what's happening, I think that level of comfort and consistency promotes a more active um, bedroom. I like that. I like that. All right. Now I'm moving on to anger. Okay, this person. We were already doing that, and yet we're we're, we're moving on to anger. We're moving on. Okay. I honestly feel like I can't stand my husband, my kids, my mother. I can't stand mother in law or mother. She wrote mother. Okay. And I'm having trouble keeping my mouth shut about some things that I used to be able to just relax about. There is no more relaxing. I feel like a monster. And also, I have to admit, I kind of feel like F all of you. I'm not here to serve you. That's she, that's a lot. It's interesting. Powerful question. And Mm -hmm. it would be interesting to know how pre um, uh, pre premenopausal the dynamics were, but you know, the only change that we can make initially starting off is Mm -hmm. within ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I mean, the the thing that comes to mind, again, for those writing down and typing is counter-transference. Have I, you know, missed my yoga class and I'm a bad mood, so I'm mirroring my anger and my reflections at my targets? Did I have a shitty exchange at my boss and because I pedestalize my boss and I'm anger and I can't talk back to him? the anger harbors in me, I get home and I'm ready to crack some skulls at people who are vulnerable and able to take my venom. You know, am I not able to go swimming or on vacation because I'm overworked and overpaid? So, you know, who can I lash out? 
there's always this element of countertransference, mirroring my emotions. And, you know, what I would, you know, tell, especially the person who asked is it's not a me versus, you know, F everybody in front of me. It's not me against the world, but especially when there's a trauma or a difficult situation or, or menopause more over than any other experiences, it's a me versus myself moment. Interesting. Okay. So hang on to that one second, because as you're talking, I'm thinking of my own moments, sort of feeling rageful, feeling resentful. And I'm thinking about the many, 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 many people I've heard from who could absolutely relate to what this person said. And actually somebody in the chat said, this totally speaks to me. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that many people in perimenopause will communicate that they feel especially irritable, especially impatient, especially rageful. I often think and wonder and, you know, sort of hover over this. I thought that I wonder how much of that feeling is about the things that feel or seem problematic in the dynamics between anybody in the house um, that were already there and maybe not addressed, maybe not dealt with. And then they really, really come up when our hormones, the straw are, that broke the camel's back, maybe, right? maybe, or, and then how much is really like hormonal. So when you went just to circle back to what you said about the me versus myself versus me versus them, I'm curious sort of where you land on this this perimenopausal thing. If someone came into your office and said, I really can't deal with any member of my family and I'm sick of all their shit and I'm done like doing everything for everybody, you know, whatever. I, just to piggyback off that, I'd be yeah. shocked if anyone experiencing menopause came to my office, didn't say that. More okay. Than, okay. Uh, that's a comment that's expected. Like I'm okay. expecting them to say Okay. That. So, and that's sort of what I'm getting at. So, so I, maybe it's not an either or thing. Maybe it is the conflation of, of the, of the season of life and, you know, dynamics, demands, lifestyle stuff, but do you still land on it's you, you know, it's me versus myself, or is there something else or more, I guess? Well, you know, I'm going to go into a little bit of resiliency 101 with this one. But just before I do that, I, I want to empathize that, you know, as a man, I have no idea what women go through menopause other than what I read, research, hear from patients and anything I can get my hands on to be more educated. Okay. Just yeah. putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you're really in the hot seat, I got to say, <laughs> I, I mean, I give you a lot of credit for being the first man on the, on the Perry uh, podcast and re diving into relationships. I, I mean, we wanted to have a conversation like this for a long time. And good for you, Pavel. <laughs> I appreciate that. And the fact that yes. you guys even put me out here, you know, it is the hot seat. And, <laughs> you know, if I can kind of get people thinking differently and, you know, if at the beginning of the conversation, they want to punch me in the nose, but towards the end, they uh, want to give me a hug. I feel uh, like that's been a good, then it's been a good hour. conversation. Right. Okay. So, so 
first thing that I will say, I empathize, I'm compassionate. I, you know, people tell me I've got a big heart and, you know, it really comes out for the, for the difficult period you guys are all going through and anything that me and my gender and everybody who knows nothing about this can learn, please, please share and tell us, right? We're, you know, just speaking as men on the topic, we're idiots. We don't know what to talk about. If you think talking about, you know, our daughters going on their period and buying tampons is awkward for us, then this is like the next stage. So just putting into perspective how, you know, ill-equipped we are for this, but we want to try and our hearts are in the right place. Ricocheting that message. Okay. Ricocheting that message. There is a part of me and my colleagues who believe that um, being overly empathetic and overly compassionate and diving a little too deep into the victim waters can make us do things for our wife, our mother, our daughter, whoever, which they can do for themselves. So what I always say for anybody on any level, menopause, whatever it is, you know, trauma, as soon as we start doing things for people who can do that thing for themselves, we're doing them injustice. So that cannot happen. And the reason I say that is because the way I see it is there are two roads that can be taken. Okay. There's, and this is in the resiliency training mindset 101. The first road is that, you know, we're experiencing some kind of difficult situation, trauma, PTSD, uh, menopause, premenopause, postmenopause. You know, we live our lives up here in a very, very small comfort zone. We expect people to you know, do things for us. We expect people to speak to us in a certain way. We expect people to do this, this, and that, to, you know, relate to us in a certain way. And I don't want to say roll out the red carpet, but we can also be living our lives saying, hey, I feel like crap. I'm not going to yoga. Hey, I feel like crap. I'm not meeting my girls. Hey, I'm in a pissy mood. I'm going to tell my husband what I think and et cetera which is what people might do. But what I always encourage in the resiliency mindset is despite the fact that I feel like shit, despite the fact that I want to, you know, slap my husband across the head with the hammer a few times, <laughs> despite the fact that I want to miss work, despite the fact that I want to tell my go coworker to go, you know what, herself, I don't. And I don't for the, for the goodness of what I'm trying to do, learn and grow. Somebody tells me something I want to, you know, beat the crap out of them. I don't, I, I, I work on myself. I work on my strength. I work on my resiliency. I work on my tolerance. And that echoes back to the, you know, making little things smaller rather than volcanic eruptions. So that is kind of the mentality that I would love people to embrace more. It ain't going to happen overnight. We're going to slip and fall. But as more, the more we slip and fall, and a key lesson, which I don't know if we have time to, but I'd love to echo one day, is vulnerability. 
the more we are vulnerable, the more we can show ourselves, the more we can express ourselves, the more vulnerable the, we are, the more we enrich our lives, the people in our family, the people at work, the people in our social life. That's how we get to a place that we wanna be. So the vulnerability and the resiliency is absolutely crucial. Great, thank you for that. That was a lot. We are getting close to the end of the hour. And I, I do want, there are two more questions that I think were um, important to touch on. And actually I heard from a few men just getting, so I, I'd love to have just take 10 more minutes of your time. Sure. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these next two questions from two different people back to back because I think the tone may be the same and you can speak to that and then I'll, I'll get to what some of the men I heard from said. Okay, this next person said, I'm feeling out of love. I feel finally like myself. I think I'm close to being post-menopausal and I feel like my husband is just not my person anymore. He was my person 25 years ago, but I was very much about appeasing him in all things. And I'm just over all of that now. That's one uh, comment. Another person reached out and said, I married young and definitely do not feel I'm the same person I once was. I also feel like I can't stand many things about my partner anymore. We have three children, two are out of the house. One is in high school and i I feel I'm waiting for that one to get out so I can get out. And then mm -hmm. I ask myself, am I really going to throw away all these years? I can't afford to sort all of this out in therapy. So any help would be greatly appreciated. Those are loaded. I know and need much more time than five minutes, but I did want to at least get them out. I think they're important. And I think again, another sort of comment, another feeling, another experience that many in midlife in perimenopause in menopause feel which is I don't know if this union that I had I've been in for so long um is one that I want to continue yeah those are, are are very powerful powerful questions and I don't know if there's a, an answer that's generic enough or that's common enough that I can sure. share to people, but there are a few questions that whenever somebody asks those questions, I'd like them to ask themselves. Right. And the, the first one is, what is my motivation to ask this question? What is the motivation for what has happened? What is my motivation for me feeling this way? What is my motivation for my husband no longer being the same that he was when we first got married? What is the motivation behind these things? Let's forget about what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and what's happening, but what is the motivation? That is an absolute huge one. The alternative question is, you know, am I comparing my scenario and my situation and what I've done and what he's done or she's done to the alternative. Oh, there's my four o'clock stations. Um, uh -oh. is he so we still have time for this, but okay. am I comparing my, am I comparing what's here 
to the alternative or am I comparing it to the almighty? So very, very important question. The almighty mm. tends to be the comfort zone up in here where we want mm. you to be more out into the world, to the alternative. What are, are the alternatives, right? We want to fight off any idealistic views and tendencies of the world that we have because it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? Like the old phrase and saying goes, you know, the grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. So right. that's oh, kind I of like the construct- that. Yeah, that's kind of the constructive feedback I would give to any idealistic tendencies that might be swirling around. Awesome. Um, I just want to say this. I know you have to go, but I I did want to give. I I never hear from men, and I don't I don't want their reach outs to be ignored. You're kidding. I've been talking for most of the time here. <laughs> I, I, so uh, I heard from a few people who said um, that they are worried about their marriages ending. Uh, One of them was very, very delicately expressing that they have become sexually incompatible. He would like to continue a sexual relationship. His wife would not. And um, one just sort of felt like um, at a loss. And so I hear everything you're saying. I love it. I so appreciate it about sort of looking within and really, really, and being self-reflective and sort of, you know, asking yourself the hard questions. And so, you know, in a, in a minute to respond to those, those, <laughs> let's, those make it men, too. let's make it too. That, that, that would be great. Um, that would be so, so helpful. I'd appreciate whatever you have to say to them. Well, I guess this is a little bit of an easier question because I can, you know, relate to men as, Mm -hmm. you know, men often relate similar themes in these experiences. And those two being the the most common ones is how did we get here? How Mm -hmm. have I influenced this dynamic? What needs are that of my wife? What can I do to fulfill those needs? Right. And if I'm asking those questions and I'm answering those questions, I think we've got to a huge problem. Those are questions that need to be asked of my wife, mm-hmm. of my spouse, of my partner, of potentially, you know, females that I know who could, you know, divulge some interesting, like if I'm looking for solutions for somebody else within I think we've found the core of the problem. Fantastic. Pavel, thank you so much. This has just been such a pleasure. So helpful. I really, really, really appreciate your time, your input, your, your wisdom and knowledge. Um, It's been enormously helpful. I know to all of us here and will continue to be um, throughout the community. How can people find you? Um, should they want to reach out directly? You're getting yeah. lots of thank yous and hearts. Uh, thank you to everybody. <laughs> um, so please feel free to, to you know, reach out to me or, or the team. We have a very diverse, distinguishable team, everyone who specializes in different things. Um, heydaytherapy.com. Um, we also and have- And is that all telehealth? 
Is that all? Or no, you have people yeah, coming We do a combination. We do okay, hybrid, okay. we do in person, we do um, phone, you know, we do workshops, seminars, we do things like this. So, so please, Heyday Therapy Inc. We have a social media platform, a lot of good advice and suggestions and resources there. Uh, our LinkedIn, our Facebook. So please feel free to reach out to me or to the team. And um, yeah, we're happy to help in, in any way. And you know, I want to share my thank you to, to Rachel and Perry and the team for this invitation and you know, kind of breaking the ice on, on difficult topics. And um, it's a real pleasure to be here. And anytime yeah. you send an invitation, you don't even have to ask for an invite. The answer is yes. <laughs> well, oh, awesome. That, that would be delightful to speak with you again. Um, soon and uh thank you again thank you to all of you who came and weighed in and took information in this is a sticky subject for many but i i feel that there's there's hope and and there's an enormous amount of room for growth always personally in your relationships um and and you've sort of help steer us in that direction, Pavel. So thank you. Of course. And, you you know, as ignorant as men are about (laughs) this topic, even though, you know, you might be talking to us on the couch and we're watching TV or we're on our phone or something, believe me, we want to learn. We want to help. Don't let the outside facade or the anxiety make you believe that we don't guys we want to learn we want to help we want to be supportive so just please know that thank you thank you so much be well everyone thank you again enjoy the rest of the day take care everybody thanks for checking bye. in bye Rachel thank you bye-bye good to meet thank you for listening to our perimenopause what the f podcast The perimenopause journey can be lonely and it doesn't have to be that way. Make sure to download our free Peri app to connect with perimenopause warriors in the same stage of life. See you next time, Peri sisters.